Welcome to the Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee of Denver City Council. The Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee begins now. everyone uh, if you are joining us live it is morning despite uh, it saying good evening uh, <laughs> just a joke nobody got it uh, that's okay you can maybe if you're watching later tonight it will be this evening um, but thank you for joining us we're here for safety housing education and homelessness committee today is Wednesday February 7th um, and we're going to start with some introductions. We'll start. Uh, my name is Serena Gonzalez Gutierrez. I am one of the at-large uh, council members, and I'm going to first see if there's anyone on Zoom today. No. Okay. Great. So uh, we'll start with introductions, and we'll start down on my far right. Hi, everybody. Sarah Parity. I'm also your council member at large. Good morning, Daryl Watson, the Fine District 9. Good morning, Amanda Sawyer, District 5. Uh, good morning, Paul Cashman, South Denver, District 6. Good morning, Diana Romero-Campbell, Southeast Denver, District 4. Good morning, Madam Chair, Stacey Gilmore, District 11. Great. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining this morning. Uh, we have a couple things uh, on the agenda. We have a briefing um, from Denver Police Department that will kick us off. And then we do have a presentation from host and action item. And then we have five items on consent today. So with that, we'll get going. Um, and we have from around 1030 to around 1120, I just wanna give the set up the time, timing here um, that we will start with the Denver Police Department audit response and strategic planning. So we welcome Phil, um, I don't wanna mispronounce your last name, uh, and Elisa. So thank you so much for being here. Well, good morning, Madam Chair. Uh, Wednesdays we wear pink, my daughter says, so it's good to see a couple of you wearing pink, I guess, as that's a good reference to a good movie, but a good kickoff to introduce our strategic plan and some other audit uh, responses that have been conducted over the last year, and I'm excited to be here to present them all before you today. So good morning, Council and Chair. Again, my name is Phil Gonshak, and I am the Director of Strategic Initiatives uh, over here at the Denver Police Department and it's an honor to be before you. What we're gonna do is we're gonna dive kind of uh, into the audit report first. And so to give you the portfolio for this morning is I will cover about 10 or 11 slides as it relates directly to the audit. And then we will transition over to the strategic plan. And my partner, Elisa DeTrolio here will be presenting that as well. So the audit report, Denver Police Department's operations in uh, staffing report as it relates to some of the highlights we'll be discussing. One is uh, how and uh, when we have and currently using data to better inform both our internal and external operations and further decrease the amount of time it takes for our police, police officers to respond to emergency calls for service. Two, how we utilize a strategic plan to inform both our organization and community partnerships to target outcomes that we expect to meet in turn hopefully exceed their expectations. Three, how the Denver Police Department has exponentially improved both our internal and external transparency efforts. And lastly, how the Denver Police Department has been intentional in addressing our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts to target recruiting 
and just as importantly, retain our highly qualified professional and sworn staff. So with all this, I'll now be moving forward through each of the auditor's findings and present our already active responses to each and every one of them. Audit finding one, the Denver Police Department lacks comprehensive strategic policies and documented guidance to ensure effective operations. Considering that my duties and responsibility fall into policy and procedures as they directly relate to public policy and the police department, this one I kind of hit home with. Our recommended solution to this finding is that we take a three-pronged approach. One, to institute a formal strategic plan. Two, to conduct an in-depth staffing analysis. And three, to truly spend an honest amount of our time on analyzing our recruiting efforts. As it relates to the strategic plan, we not only completed a comprehensive department-wide and community policing plan, but even went so far as to recently task each of our individual bureaus with developing their own strategic plans to ensure congruency with the desired outcomes and amongst the entirety of our organization. Our goal is that our department-wide plan will then be able to incorporate these outcomes of these individual plans into our ever-living constitutional strategic plan, which will be presented and discussed here in a few minutes. Further, we communicated our plan, posted it onto our performance and transparency pages on our website, along with our outcomes that we plan to publish annually. As you know, strategic plans are only as effective as they are audited annually, and that's our plan for this one as well. Further, we communicated our plan with uh, personnel and posted on the pages with the outcomes that we plan to publish annually. Additionally, we communicated with the Community Crime Prevention Coalition meetings, as well as our Police Chief's Advisory Board to get their input. We then asked our community engagement program managers to communicate this plan with their collaborative partners as well. And lastly, we conducted a public safety survey, which the results will soon be published along with our police response acknowledgement surveys onto the website. In turn, it is our hope that we can continue to create a culture of continuous improvement. And then moving on to the staffing analysis. In October of 2022, the Denver Police Department implemented a new patrol staffing system that was based specifically on methodology that was developed by Northwestern University's School of Police Staff and Command. This model balances patrol capacity efforts by workload across several places and times at once, further creating a patrol goal staffing target for each district that was used strategically allocated for our patrol resources. As a direct result of this, I'm happy to report that we were able to see immediate results, which included a 40%, 42% reduction in response time for emergency calls for service. Moving on to recruitment, we're continually working with the Civil Service Commission to try and streamline our recruitment and hiring processes. This will hopefully someday move police applicants through our process much more quickly. And our focus is to continue keeping candidates engaged and supported through a personalized coaching program. This personalized coaching program would in turn attract a diverse number of candidates through our police academies. The second audit finding states that the Denver Police Department does not have effective strategies to understand and address low retention. In response to this, our recommended solutions were to assess, strategize, and be intently focused on our DEI efforts. Regarding the assessments, we have historically offered exit interviews for professional staff and recruits who leave the actual academy. However, there is a gap in understanding why tenured police officers have actually left our police department. In response to this deficiency, it's our goal to task the Performance and Development Unit, or PDU, 
is their acronym, to explore and implement a process for us to take into account these unknown reasons. With that, the PDU will then be responsible for tasking these and tracking these trends, highlighting what is working, what is not working, and just as important in conclusion, identify our opportunities where we need to make improvements. Additionally, we gather feedback and assess the morale of both our sworn and professional staff through platforms such as Connect with the Chief, which is an internal document to try and understand what our needs are of our police officers and professional staff when they have questions about the internal workings of our organization. Our internal morale committee, the recent mayor's office survey, a reintegration assessment, and monthly police protective association meetings. Our strategy development efforts include several initiatives through the Strategic Initiatives Bureau. For example, our bureau has implemented a question and answer form with line level officers and staff regarding policy updates, initiatives, and other high level changes that come to the organization. This, this, this forum provides an opportunity to voice feedbacks, concerns, and improve clarity regarding not just policies, but any other items that our staff wishes to voice during that time. Regarding leadership development, we have several different opportunities for training with department for all levels of sworn and professional staff, like our partnership with Denver University's Professional Policing and Leadership Institute. And additionally, we're building succession plans as command leadership and supervisory roles retire here in the near future. Lastly, our professional development unit launched a tailored mentoring program where our wellness team works with staff on any wellness issues such as FMLA, bereavement, overtime needs, and or personnel changes. The primary purpose of this was to help identify large stressors happening at the same time and provide additional support to individuals and their districts. Moving on to diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have several forums in place to collect feedback, including the Women's Collective that was started by our former Deputy Chief, Barb Archer. Further, we now have a dedicated equity, diversity, and inclusion unit. Other items include our collective bargaining agreement, which now has an education stipend, where there are several opportunities for enhancing leadership training within the department and for all levels of both sworn and professional staff. Our B4B, or Before the Blue program, provides a historical context on the relationships between different Denver neighborhoods and the police department, which offers what we believe is a unique opportunity for new officers to start their career with both a rudimentary amount of understanding our unique Denver history, culture, and knowledge. Lastly, we have a culture that praises acts of bystandership and focuses on all of our department training around this concept. The third audit finding states that the Denver Police Department does not have effective strategies to understand and address low retention. The Denver Police Department took this advice and has concluded several action items to address it specifically. Some of these items highlight and include the Denver uh, Department of Public Safety's hiring a sixth physical therapist in 2020-23. This therapist is dedicated to the police department specifically, which now gives us two full-time physical therapy uh, associates solely allocated to the police department. In June of 2023, the Department of Public Safety was also awarded grant funds from DOLA to implement in-house mental health services for police officers and the safety employees that we have. This new in-house mental health service provider is housed out of the Denver Police Department's Traffic Operations Bureau and facility and was officially established in January of 2024, just last month. Grant funds also now include the ability to expand confidential substance abuse group trauma therapy sessions for our police staff and other safety employees suffering these issues. This program was officially established now in September of last year, 2023. 
Additionally, the Department of Public Safety is now working to enhance the intranet site to provide greater wellness information for Department of Safety employees and agencies alike. It's anticipated that this resource will then be completed within the first quarter of 2024. The fourth audit finding, the Denver Police Department has inconsistent processes to monitor officers' time worked. Some immediate policy changes that were made to address this specific issue include only officers who have successfully completed field training may now work secondary employment police work and or department paid off-duty jobs. Only officers who have successfully completed probation may work secondary employment now at establishments where the sale of liquor or alcohol is the primary source of business, for example, bars and or nightclubs. Second, only officers of police officer first grade or higher may be scheduling officers. What this means is that these officers will then verify that off-duty hours are then matching the billing invoice for both in and time of off-duty and the number of hours worked prior submitting to any invoices to the employer. Third and lastly, any failure to adhere to the new secondary employment policy may result in the officers and or scheduling officer suspension of the privilege to work and or schedule secondary employment. When assessing these overtime tracking issues, we felt that the area of wellness, the area of wellness fell into this category of needs improvement as well. It's our hope that we would track various anonymous metrics that might indicate a wellness or morale issue. When can these use these as anonymous information or bits of information to again help with identifying any larger stressors that may be happening both internally, externally, and maybe even at home. We can address these issues then by addressing them immediately as they may be too cumbersome for one person, team, or even a bureau or family to handle. Lastly, and just as importantly, is the oversight of these programs and the policies. To ensure this oversight, we created an additional policy amendment, whereas the secondary employment coordinator conducts audits of invoices submitted by email, invoices submitted to secondary employees, and entries of officers working any off-duty hours. Further, the total of on-duty hours and off-duty police work, secondary employment hours, including department authorized Overtime assignments must not exceed 72 hours in the calendar week, Sunday through Saturday. Court time and obviously continued duty related overtime will not be included in this total. However, all other department paid overtime assignments, including backfill and grants will be included. Lastly, officers are reminded that they may not work more than 16 hours in a 24 hour period. In closing, we truly appreciate this opportunity to present before all of you today and hope this shows our dedicated and true due diligence in ensuring long-term success that is needed. Further, please know that this organization promises to continue our focus on evidence-based strategies to address public safety, which in turn will improve the resources and training we provide to our officers and professional staff. Particularly as we work daily and even nightly to build upon our current communities partnerships where we always hope to cultivate new ones. With that, Chief Thomas and I are here to answer any questions before each and every one of you. Thank you. Um, I just wanna also recognize uh, Council President Torres has joined us um, today. And it looks like, I know we you also wanted to go over this other piece as well. Yeah. We can- Regarding the audit, we will then transition into the strategic plan that'll be presented by Elisa DiTrolio. Um, I think let's, it, may, it might be a good break to do, yeah, let's do some questions and then we can transition into the strategic plan, unless you think that if, as we go, if it looks like um, some of the questions might be answered with some of the strategic plan information, we can just kind of gauge that. But we'll start with 
um, folks that we have in the queue. Uh, Council President Torres, you're up first. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, two questions. Uh, is Civil Service Commission obviously is not uh, an entity under safety um, or the police department. And so much of um, what they do is kind of bound in concrete in the charter. Um, what, what do you hope can be modified? What's possible to be transformed um, or changed in order to affect um, effective recruitment? Uh, and, uh, and does that play a role as well in some of the retention issues? Uh, thank you, Council President Thanks, Chief. and uh, members of the, the committee, um, uh, Chief Ron Thomas. Um, so the answer to that question is, you know, we find significant challenges with the Civil Service Commission. We currently work with them to try to address those challenges. It's our belief and understanding that they seem beholden to a number of antiquated uh, procedures that I think um, make it difficult to process folks in a, in a, in a swift fashion and get them to a position where they are uh, eligible for uh, an upcoming academy. For instance, you know, they are only mandated by uh, charter to meet once a week. Um, and so um, processing files and making decisions on files when they have to all be together. Um, and, you know, they, they have been reluctant to do phone votes and things like that. And so um, helping them understand the, you know, the sense of urgency and you know, kind of meeting the mayor's goal to, you know, to meet those 167 officers in the need to, you know, to meet more often and, and even take advantage of phone voting opportunities so that they can make those votes and, and even talk about removing some of the barriers that, uh, that we believe are currently in place. Um, additionally, you know, we understand that, you know, currently, and they have, they've even provided these statistics it uh, often takes six or seven months to get someone from test to hire. And in the interim, uh, folks are getting offers from other police departments. And, um, and so we lose folks in the process. Additionally, um, because it takes them so long to get to the point where they're offering someone uh, a job offer, often uh, that job offer doesn't come until six or eight days before the academy starts. Uh, in fact, we have had, um, uh, folks finally processed and seated in the academy after the first day of the academy has already passed. And we understand the challenge there in that, um, you know, individuals can't tell their employer, you know, you know, six days ahead of starting a new job, hey, I'm leaving and I'm picking up from Chicago and moving to Denver. So you know, these are challenges that we've expressed. Uh, you know, they have committed to, uh, to working on that. We're hopeful that uh, some new commissioners that have just recently come on board can kind of reinvigorate and get them to have a greater sense of urgency with relation to our issues. Thank you, that feels significant. Um, do you have any sense of uh, a percentage of loss between like during that application process because it takes up to seven I mean, months? I'd have to do some digging to identify a percentage of, of loss, but I think it's significant. I think it's, it's you know, it, there are a number of individuals that do drop out. Um, and, you know, and I think because of the style of testing that they currently engage in, I think that there's an overwhelming number, like probably uh, close to half of the people that, that sign up to take the test, fill out the application and move on to the test, don't finish the test, mm -hmm. which is suggestive of a problem with the test, because if you go through all of the time and effort to fill out a lengthy application and then you don't complete the test, um, is suggestive to me of, a, of an issue with the test. So that's a concern that we've brought to their attention. I think that they're currently vacillating on, 
moving to a different vendor or a different testing process. Okay, thank you for that. Um, the audience that you have, Chief, um, with some of the um, kind of special, maybe targeted, um, uh, the Women's Collective Morale Committee, um, there may be other um, uh, kind of affinity groups um, within the police department. How do you make audience, uh, how do you make yourself an audience for them in order to discover what might be happening? Great question. So um, we also have a Latino Peace Officers Organization as well as a, uh, a BPO, Black Police Officers Organization, that I meet with on a regular basis to identify uh, challenges, concerns. Um, certainly that's a, a population that we are uh, uh, desiring to have continued relationship with. And so, you know, we have community academies focused specifically on women, focused specifically on uh, African-Americans and, and Hispanic members of our community. And so uh, continuing to engage with the population that's already on our force and then uh, on, the popula on the community as well so that we can continue to increase those numbers. Thank you for that. Thank you so much, Chief. Yeah, thanks. thanks, Madam Chair. Thank you, uh, Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam Chair. Um, thank you guys very much for this uh, presentation. And, and I, I'm not sure if this these questions are more for the strategic plan piece or for um, the conversation now. I will say um, we are doing charter review committee right now. And so if there need to be updates to the charter around civil service commission, this is the opportunity and the time to do it. Um, so if you wanna reach out and have a conversation with us about, about that, um, you know, we'd be happy to, to uh, talk through that at least a little bit and kind of explain how the process works and how, um, you know, you could move something like that through through our committee. Um, so yesterday we got our um, results back officially um, of our District 5 community survey. We do a community survey every year. Um, and <clears throat> I will say that crime is, remains the number one issue for residents in the community, um, in the District 5 community. Interestingly, um, crime was everyone's number one choice, um, but the number two and three choices, which were traffic and homelessness, um, were also the comments that went along with that were also indicative of concerns about that as it related to crime. Um, so for example, uh, you know, traffic violations, which are not a quote unquote crime in the criminal sense, they're a civil crime, but nevertheless crime, right? That is affecting quality of life of our residents. Um, so curious whether, given that that's what we're hearing from our residents and it's a statistically valid survey with a 2.4% um, margin of error, and we're looking at 79% of, resp of respondents saying that crime is their number one concern. Um, so wondering whether, based on that information, what plans the police department has to address um, that issue. And I will say that I acknowledge that that is, um, we know our crime numbers are going down. We can see that in the data. Um, but the perception of crime is not. So what what are you doing to kind of address that challenge? So first let me say that I recognize that fear of crime is my responsibility or our responsibility as a police department as is reduction in crime. And so certainly you point to the fact that uh, crime has significantly reduced, you know, auto thefts kind of leading the way but non-fatal shootings and homicides also seeing significant reductions. 
Um, I don't think that that has necessarily addressed folks' fear of crime. Um, I think some of the drivers of fear of crime are, you know, sometimes I think, you know, if, if something happens on your block, um, I think it, it, it may give you a sense that it's happening everywhere, happening much more frequently than ever before. Um, so I think we need to be responsive to those certain concerns that we are. We do uh, have a number of forums where we engage directly with our public, whether they're commanders uh, advisory board meetings or taking our crime strategy briefings to the community so that they can see ourselves holding us accountable to uh, increases in crime as well as you know, giving them that opportunity, as you've seen, to, to ask us questions and be responsive and, and maybe even sometimes have a, a different understanding of what is really important. You know, I think that we may be responding to an increase in street robberies, for instance, when really what is, is shaking the community the most is drag racing or the, the unhoused issues. Um, I also think that um, the, the um, proliferation of uh, unhoused uh, uh, community members as well as uh, migrants, I think, seems to also impact folks' fear of crime. And so certainly, I think that the mayor's efforts to, to, around stabilizing folks, getting them into housing, um, I, I think is addressing that too. I think that if you talk to folks uh, in the downtown core, I think that they will give you a different feeling about their perception of crime currently. Uh, so I think that that is a lot of our effort, really kind of being re responsive to not only the drivers of crime itself, but also the drivers of the uh, of the fear of crime. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, my staff and I think the folks that do the groundwork every day understand that and are responsive to that. Okay, really appreciate that. And looking forward to, we drilled down into some specifics and asked our residents about certain specific things. So happy to sit down with you and kind of talk through that and, and see um, what we can how we can address some of those different challenges, um, but really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Madam Chair. Thank you. Uh, next up, we have Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, thank you, Chief Thomas, for being here and the, um, the report out. Um, I was surprised um, to not hear um, a little bit more about how the Department of Safety is gonna work with the Office of Independent Monitor and the Citizen Oversight Board. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to um, share with us specifically this morning about how you really see around audit finding one, around you know documented um, strategies, policies, et cetera, and audit finding two around retention are places where Naturally, I think that there is some partnership, um, some work together around that and wanted to, to get your thoughts on that. I appreciate that. So uh, I meet with the uh, Citizens Oversight Board quarterly. Um, and I also have other, you know, sort of uh, off the calendar conversations with members of the COB on a, on a fairly regular basis. Uh, addressing their their challenges, they obviously have uh, regular contact with the independent monitor, and then through the independent monitor with our internal affairs bureau. Um, I meet regularly with uh, Ms. Castle and uh, her staff. Uh, we actually meet internally on a on a regular basis to discuss crime crime or I'm sorry uh, complaint trends. Uh, understanding those things that uh, that officers seem to be doing much more often, so that we can either tighten policy or uh, address. Uh, those uh, challenges through training. And so I think that that's a uh, continuous work that I, I know that uh, she's appreciative of being involved in. The other thing uh, that we do on a regular basis is um, uh, 
when we um, are anticipating a policy uh, creation of policy or a change in policy, we have regular engagement with the Office of the Infant Monitor uh, to, to make sure that there are no unintended consequences or make sure that there's a way for them to, to, to kind of monitor um, compliance with these particular uh, policies. And so, again, regular engagement there. Uh, and then the other thing that, uh, that we do, I think, to address um, the, uh, the retention issue is I think that often there is some misunderstanding as it relates to the reasons and justifications for discipline and actually how much discipline is, is, uh, is meted out. And so uh, just recently we have uh, put all of our um, uh, internal affairs cases, I mean, it's always, you know, we've always uh, put uh, internal affairs data on our uh, transparency dashboard, uh, public facing, but even internally, we are now uh, listing all of our uh, uh, complaint letters uh, so that folks can kind of see the sort of the, the, the truth behind um, why people received uh, discipline. So I think that there's maybe, um, less um, misinterpretation and misunderstanding of how people actually came to, to, to be disciplined. That's, um, that's helpful to understand. And are there, um, I recently met with board members from the PPA, um, the Police Protective Association, and they also brought up the disciplinary matrix. Are there plans to formalize those conversations? I know you're meeting with folks, but it would be helpful for transparency and accountability with constituents to know a little bit more formally what is going on with that work. Yes, and so certainly um, understanding that the, um, the disciplinary matrix was advertised as a living, breathing document, and it's actually not probably breathed in several years. And so uh, understanding that there's probably a need to, uh, to go back and, and relook at some of those things with the original stakeholders that helped develop that particular document. And so that, that work is underway right now. Okay, great. And my last question, um, um, Julia Richmond from the Citizen Oversight Board had sent a letter to council and it went out to the media requesting a first quarter meeting um, with Department of Safety representatives, et cetera. Is that um, happening additionally or is that really this report out here? Well, um, I, guess, I guess it's not because Citizen Oversight Board isn't represented. So let me rephrase my question. It, has that meeting been scheduled in the first no, quarter yet? Nothing has been scheduled to my knowledge outside of the regular quarterly meetings that she has with myself, the safety director and, uh, and the sheriff. Okay, it would be helpful to understand um, kind of what's the outcome of that meeting then um, since that letter's out there. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Chief. Thank you, Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, as I'm reading the audit findings, the, uh, the finding from the auditor, uh, the uh, description of the findings, uh, don't mince words. Uh, I, I think the finding one says, department lacks comprehensive strategic policies. And then uh, finding two says, does not have effective strategies um, to when we're looking at low retention and finding three says should improve officers um, um, access to in-house physical therapy. And then I think the final one says has an inconsistent process to monitor time off. And then the strategy presented uh, to me provides uh, lots of clarity on each one of those findings. Uh, my question first is on the framing, is there, were these findings provided and then the 
kind of the strategic um, responses to those findings provided to the auditor? Has the auditor, has there been a discussion since then? And maybe the thoughts on whether the department lacks these things, is that still the, 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 the understanding? I, I think the timing is important because it seems very specific, your responses to each of these. Certainly, so uh, I think, in fair, I appreciate that question. So, you know, in fairness, most of the work that we are reporting out today was actually uh, either completed or underway uh, during the audit process. And so um, maybe, not, maybe not fair to say that we didn't get credit for that, but certainly I think that, that, um, that you know, and I, I think if you read the entire report, you would see that in our responses, we acknowledge that, that, you know, that you know, we agree with their assessment. However, uh, there are things that uh, either have been done or are currently underway in order to address those issues, you know, and, and as, as it specifically relates to the strategic plan uh, that we'll talk about in a minute, we have long since had a strategic plan document, but it was a one page document that I think um, clearly communicated what the expectations were for our rank and file. They believe that, um, the, that it took, uh, that it was necessary to create a much more um, comprehensive document, which we did and have published. Um, but it was always my belief and still is actually to, to this day that um, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to have a voluminous document that, that describes your strategic plan if it's just going to sit on a shelf. And so <clears throat> I thought it was much more important to, to have a one page document and make sure that supervisors and command level officers are clearly communicating those expectations to our rank and file, uh, but nevertheless recognize the, the, the need from um, the auditors committee, as well as I think the community to, 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 to create a much more comprehensive document. And just a quick follow up on that. Um, were you able to, has your team received feedback from the auditor's office since the, um, the response? We have not, um, you know, and, and I think during the, during the meeting, there was acknowledgement that, that they would be coming back to us, uh, at some point to, to, to check on our progress. That, uh, that reach out has not occurred yet, but we can certainly follow up with the auditor's office to, to let them know that we're certainly prepared to, to, to let them know what our progress is. Just thinking if I had a final one, I think I may go back in the queue for the strategic plan, but, but my statement to what I've read, and I can see even under audit finding four, um, the very specific metrics that you've listed as far as the officer time, who can leverage that. I think this should be a very helpful for a community to have an understanding that this is not just the wild, wild west, that everyone's out there doing that. And this is just under the audit four piece. On each of the other ones, I, I see um, some very specific stuff that my team will reach back out to your office to go into even more detail. So thank you, uh, Chief, for the responses and thank you for the presentation on your response to the auditors. Um, questions. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, uh, Councilwoman Parity. Hi, good morning, Chief. Um, thank you guys so much for this presentation. Um, one question that I have is around the uh, goal of increased recruitment and retention. Um, that was part of the reason um, Madam Chair and myself talked about uh, bringing you all in to report back on this, um, just in addition to that we hadn't heard from you, I think, since the audit came out. Um, and one of the factors that the auditor identified 
um, as a reason for high turnover, especially among senior officers, um, was that those officers had um, concerns or objections to new state law requirements, um, including um, on body worn cameras and then around um, changes to how the doctrine of qualified immunity works. Um, so my curiosity about that is um, whether you have a sense of uh, if those factors have changed, in other words, if people that were going to leave for that reason have now left, or if that's still a factor, and what you're doing with kind of that opportunity to um, get the department aligned with those state law goals and get people um, feeling more more bought into those, um, given that that was a big reason apparently in, in 2020 and onward. Yes, I, I appreciate that. So, um, you know, I, I do believe that in... Uh, the 2020, you know, you know, during the George Floyd era, certainly during you know, the initiation of Senate Bill 217, I think that there were people that that left because of uh, those concerns, or at least those were the, the justifications that they stated. I'm sure that uh, that COVID and, and the mandate to to for vaccination played a role too in significant numbers of separations. Um, I'm happy to report that that the, those numbers of separations have significantly slowed. So our retention is far better than it was uh, even uh, a, a year ago. Um, so certainly um, I think that we do a good job of, of helping officers understand the value of having body-worn camera. Uh, it certainly uh, provides that opportunity to, to have the truth told about a particular incident. and. Uh, and certainly uh, whenever an officer has an allegation made against them that their body-worn camera is able to disprove, they are, you know, they're made aware of that so that they can continue to understand the, the value of body-worn camera. And, you know, I think that the culture that I am uh, building on our department is around accountability. And so um, while um, qualified immunity may be um, a concern and maybe on uh, on the, the minds of folks that uh, are determining which police department in the country to join. Um, I think that the folks that currently work for the Denver Police Department understand that uh, that we are um, supposed to be held accountable. Thank you. Um, that's really interesting. Another um, goal area that kind of caught my eye is, um, and it makes sense that this would be a goal, is to reduce uh, like disciplinary complaints um, or complaints or incidents of discipline. Um, I would love to know more about what the trend line is there. Uh, so um, I, I think it, um, I don't have enough data to, to identify true trend line, um, you know, but, I, but I do want to assure uh, the group that we do have regular uh, uh, trend meetings to identify trends and build uh, training around those trends. Um, and even when we have uh, situations where officers have engaged in low level misconduct, um, you know, rather than just, you know, issuing a, a, a written or an oral uh, admonishment, we're actually building training and maybe it may be even a performance improvement plan uh, that is tracked and monitored by both the officer supervisor and our professional development unit. And so I think that there is uh, much more intention around preventing future mistakes and not just addressing uh, current mistakes. Okay, thank you. Um, I would love to sort of, um, as you continue to be able to like analyze whether the changes that are occurring, I would love to, um, to keep hearing about that. Um, and then the final question around the goals that you have in the plan, um, I think it's interesting that one of the biggest or one of the only areas of crime in the city actually that's increasing right now is um, 
what's categorized as drug and alcohol related crime. Um, and of course, we know there's big social debates about um, are we just criminalizing addiction at a certain point? You know, what's a health problem? What's a crime? And all of that. Um, so I, I did notice that there's there's not a corresponding goal to reducing uh, those types of crimes. And I wondered why that is. And if that's something your department uh, feels able to impact, or if you feel that it's just sort of other social factors that lead to that increase. Appreciate that question. So I think that um, that we will, you will see some department related and I think Department of Safety related goals uh, around um, reducing uh, those social harms, uh, because I think it's very much in line with uh, some mayoral initiatives as well, like, uh, you know, uh, Rose to Recovery. Okay, thank you so much. Those are my questions. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Uh, Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Thank you. And I'll have these be the last question so we can move to the strategic plan portion. Thank sure. You. And maybe this will lead into all of the strategic goals and, and process um, pieces. But thank you for the presentation. I appreciate the the ability to kind of uh, not only have the auditors questions out there, but be able to address them with um, some of the action steps. One of the questions that I have, and maybe this will be answered in the next presentation, so I can hold off as well. But uh, what people tend to ask, um, at least in District 4, is, you know, they call, they just want somebody to come out and a response time. And I was looking through some of those goals of how you are measuring those and key performance measures. So one is response times to, um, to a call that comes in if somebody hears gunshots or somebody's they fear somebody's breaking into their house or the, whatever the case may be. Um, and then I also hear a lot about like the customer service, the satisfaction of that interaction. And I don't know if you have a measure, I've been looking through and trying to find a measure that would really help capture what that interaction is of residents um, here in Denver, of that interaction of the, you know, of the customer service that they're receiving and then adding on to that, and maybe it's the same measurement goal, but thinking about was there resolution? So somebody comes out, they have an interaction because of a shooting um, or gunshots that they heard. How do we resolve that? Or how does that case get close so that not only do our residents have a sense of closure so that something isn't just hanging out there? Um, appreciate that question. So um, two things. One, uh, lower response times has been a priority in mm -hmm. my entire tenure. And we have seen reductions in response times um, I think that you have to be careful, though, uh, to, to make sure that um, the focus isn't on just getting there faster and not necessarily doing a good job and having good customer service. So um, uh, currently, we are, um, uh, one, of our, one of our strategic goals is increased customer service, improved customer service, and we actually have a tool in order to measure and gauge that. So I don't know if uh, folks are familiar with uh, our, our spider tech uh, technology, which is essentially software that uh, captures the number that someone calls either the non-emergency or the emergency line from. And it does a couple things. First, it will send you an update on the fact that your call was received, that the call has been uh, dispatched. It will even tell you if there's a delay in the response. And then it will tell you that, um, that, you know, that there, there is someone responding right now. Uh, and then secondarily, it will send you a survey that gives you an opportunity 
to answer questions specific to the officer's response. And this has been in place uh, since the fourth quarter of 2023. And I think currently our um, satisfaction ratings seem to be in the 60 to 75% range, depending on uh, the scales. And so my uh, goal is to increase those, those satisfaction rates by 15% in 2024. Yeah, um, thank you, I appreciate that. I think one of the, this is my last comment and then I'll stop. I know she just gave me the look. I didn't <laughs> <laughs> but I think that there, that there definitely is, and the feedback that I've heard um, specifically is um, the increased um, interaction that the neighborhood has had with the community resource officers has been very positive. Um, and that follow-up um, component for um, incidences that do happen and being able to connect locally with the community resource officers. So. Um, I just appreciate that. It's a hard thing to measure, and I think everybody wants good customer service regardless of, you know, what organization or agency that it is, and it's, it's, it's a hard one to keep up with, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Sorry, Councilwoman. I was taught to look at somebody when they're talking. <laughs> um, I have one quick question before we move on to strategic planning, and, and this is for Phil. Did you mention that the surveys were going to be made public, the uh, public safety survey. Is that correct? That is correct. And once they're compiled and the data is collected so that we can have a deep dive into the analytics of it all, it will be released in public. Okay. Um, do you anticipate when that would be? Can you come? Sorry. Sooner than later. <laughs> okay. I can, get you a, I can get you an estimated time of completion after we finish this. Okay, great. Sooner. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So I don't know, is anybody moving on on the, is it chief? Oh, are we talking about the strategic plan? Okay. And I just wanna mention, thank you chief for joining us. We understand you have to head out at around 1130. Um, we can always work on getting additional questions answered. Thank you. Good morning, thank you. Um, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to present uh, our strategic plan. Uh, the audit findings uh, were really well received and complemented um, the chief's direction uh, as he tasked our office with building a more robust uh, performance and communication platform for how we are meeting our benchmarks, how we are achieving our goals, and really being more communicative to the public as well as within our department on how um, how we are doing um, at several stages uh, throughout um, our initiatives and activities. So what you will see and what you have in front of you is obviously a more expanded strategic plan. Uh, our three main um, objectives in that were to really highlight and provide a greater overview of the goals and objectives that align with the mission and vision of our department. Um, not just to what we feel is important to the success of our department, but through several um, ongoing meeting, collaborative meetings, discussions, presentations, uh, specific boards, uh, council meetings and presentations on, on what's important to our key stakeholders and our community members. It also provides uh, the foundation for our organizational operational decisions. These goals and objectives are guiding how we are making decisions and how we are implementing our processes and pivoting when need to uh, throughout all of our bureaus. Um, 
One example is the chief recently tasked each uh, department bureau with uh, outlawing their own individual strategic plans. And as we gather that information, we are building that into the reporting process of this plan. It also provides um, a more detailed overview of why we feel, um, and through our gathering of information, why we feel that these goals are important to not just the department, but the community as well. What they, a little expansion on what they mean, um, as well as what our targeted outcomes are and um, overall metrics that will be used to guide whether we were successful in meeting our outcomes. Each performance metric, there are several, as you will see, in each under each um, goal, and a lot of them do overlap, um, and we will be providing um, more detail in that as we report out, and we are, as mentioned, building um, our reporting platform now, but they fall under four general indicators that we felt were, were the most um, important and critical to um, our community and to our department. Uh, the first being crime rates, and that is everything from property to violent crime. Community perceptions, meaning how does our community feel safe? Do they feel supported? Do they feel that the police department is um, interacting in a professional manner? Do they trust the police department? Healthy organization speaks internally to our wellness um, and retention and all of our efforts there. Um, and diverse organization as we are working um, very diligently to um, create a more diverse organization through all of our ranks from applicants to recruits to patrol through the ranks of command. We do um, want to be very transparent uh, with our demographic data. It is provided um, as of late last year, September 2023, in this current strategic plan. Um, and it shows you uh, for our non-sworn and sworn, as well as, again, from recruit to through up, up through the management rankings and file. Um, and then we um, will be very deliberate in reporting our, how we are meeting our goals of getting to specific uh, benchmarks of meeting our diversity um, and very transparent of, did we fall short? Are we um, where we want to be? Um, and, and our activities and actions that got us to that point. We do currently have our previous year activity data. We are currently updating um, 2023 data. We have 2022 right now on our performance and transparency page. Uh, we will be using that to um, as our guideline and folding that in, uh, moving from the transparency page into our uh, strategic plan final report. Again, with our goals and objectives, what you'll see is what they mean, why they are important to, why we felt they were important to serve as a, a specific goal, our desired outcomes and our key performance measures. What you will not see, what you do not see in this current plan is um, a detailed list of our current activities, initiatives, and specific data metrics because this is an evolving plan um, and we did not want to bog it down with um, into the weeds. However, we are building um, an interactive uh, web-based reporting platform that will provide all of this information um, and will be, the any user will be able to really drill down to what they're most interested in seeing without um, 
a several page report to come through our first first goal preventing crime and increasing public trust our objectives are very broad here we will again drill down into those specific initiatives and activities as we build out a reporting platform but we are very committed to our evidence-based crime reduction staff strategies operating on a multidisciplinary level working closely with our city and community partners increasing our information sharing efforts because consistent and authentic engagement everything from our newer community engagement program managers to presentations at our community coalition crime prevention meetings and access to clear and understandable data which is really the performance and accountability platform that you can find on our website now that is currently being expanded and will include all excuse me outcomes of this strategic plan safe and healthy communities really working on solutions specific to the community not just you know our overarching auto theft issues but any specific issues that are brought to our attention through our community coalition meetings or community organization networks as well as what we are seeing based on on data trends committed to expanding our services our crisis services to serving the unhoused acute mental health issues and substance misuse issues reducing events that impact community safety and quality of life that is forefront of our initiatives right now again evidence-based crime prevention strategies and solutions and we really are working with some really key academic partners where we have seen successes in other cities and we are focusing on what works as well as solutions based on community feedback our public safety survey that we are receiving the results from now as well as our spider tech victim acknowledgement software that chief mentioned earlier our sustaining and developing innovative training we are really refocusing how we can grow our sworn and non sworn from start in the department or Academy through retirement not just I mean we've we've mentioned our specific committees women's committees and our leadership training but really the Academy is taking a really hard look on how we can really frame not just our Academy but our continuing education training we do have innovative training we've been practicing for some time that not not only is evidence-based but really focuses on culture where do we want our department culture to be which we do feel will not only directly impact our relationship with the community but impact the morale and desire for long-term growth and staying within the department for your entire career one of those being our active bystandership for law enforcement training focusing on intervening with your fellow officers to prevent mistakes misconduct and promote health and wellness to a lot of our additional de-escalation trainings and to as mentioned our professional leadership opportunities which are provided not just sworn but to civilian staff as well 
Um, as mentioned in our audit report, we have developed uh, updated and um, tested workload based staffing models. We are regularly looking at what resources uh, need to be expanded, altered, uh, brought in. Uh, we, do, um, we do lead a lot of cities on some of our innovative practices. We are looking at options like remote work and job sharing opportunities that uh, would years ago never be an option for police officers. Uh, but how can we support those options for officers that may be injured, uh, having a um, stressful situation on patrol, but keeping them working towards our goals, especially reducing response time. And again, our outcomes will be reported through an annual accountability report. We are building that now. Uh, we are also gathering the individual strategic plans from each of our bureaus, and that will be made available and regularly reviewed and updated at least on an annual basis through our performance and transparency webpage. We'll open it to questions. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you so much. Um, I just want to say in the interest of time, I think I'm going to ask members to submit questions um, via email uh, because we do have one item on the agenda for action and I want to make sure we have enough time to get through that. Uh, I would also want to entertain the idea of looking at and, and we'll talk to um, Ann Wallace to see if we could perhaps um, if, if you are available to come back next week to follow up on some of those questions, just because I know there's a lot of interest here, uh, as you can see. And so we can talk offline about that and try to figure out if that would work with the schedule um, to come back more sooner rather than later since it's fresh on everybody's mind. So thank you again for, for all of the information, for answering questions, and we look forward to continuing the work. Thank you. Okay, so next we're gonna to transition to our action item with host. Chris. He's a professional. Good morning, council members. My name is Laura Allen Hatcher. I am a housing development officer with the Department of Housing Stability, otherwise known as HOST. Uh, this morning, I want to present to you a new project for your consideration. Irving at Mile High Vista is asking for some city financial support to develop a seven-story, 100-unit project of affordable rental housing at the northeast corner of Colfax and Irving in the Council District 3. Uh, here there's a, a little diagram of the shape of the building, L-shaped building, it faces Colfax. The uh, Corky Gonzalez uh, Public Library is just to the west. Uh, this lot is owned in a land trust, the Urban Land Conservancy, uh, who is leasing the, pro leasing the land to the project for use as affordable rental housing. Um, the mix of units, there'll be six studios, 78 one bedrooms, 12 two bedrooms and six three bedroom units. 
the apartments be, will be well, well equipped with uh, refrigerators, appliances, uh, AC wall units, blinds, carpeting, et cetera, and, and including either a, a patio or a balcony. Um, other common amenities will include on-site management, common laundry facilities, a bicycle maintenance and storage facility, as well as a community room and a rooftop deck. Uh, the building itself will uh, achieve a gold level certification under the National Green Building Standards. Uh, it will have a solar array on the roof and it will be 100% electrically operated using air source heat pump systems uh, and photovoltaic air conditioning. Uh, there will be security features that include limited access entries and surveillance cameras on site. Uh, on this slide, you'll see the mix of units as well as the AMI ranges. Uh, the thing that we are very excited about with this project is that it does achieve a, a deep affordability for about 25% of the project is either 20 to 30% AMI. Um, in the building itself, the first level will be parking, leasing offices and community spaces. Levels two through seven will be the residential floors served by two elevators as well as staircases on the roof. There is the 1200 square foot roof terrace for residents to use. And uh, there will be a 99 year covenant placed against the project to ensure long-term affordability. Another really exciting part of this project is that all of the units are utilizing universal design. Um, so what that means is above and beyond the required number of units under section 504, and or the ADA accessibility, each unit can be accessible ready should they have more tenants that require that sort of access. On this slide, I wanted to present um, the breadth and depth of the capital stack for this project. This is 11 different funding sources that this project was able to put together, including a 4% housing tax credits, as well as state tax credits, uh, solar tax credits and energy tax credits, uh, and a grant from uh, our own CASAR for energy efficiency. Uh, in total, they're asking for $4.08 million from the city, uh, which is just under 10% participation. The entity that will be owning the property is MHV Partners LLP. It is a um, partnership between ULC, who is a sponsor developer and the tax credit equity investor. Um, and the terms of the host loan that we are offering is gap financing for hard and soft costs. It will be a repayable cash flow loan with 1% interest, 40 year term. Uh, they're estimating that construction can begin in the second quarter of this year with units completed and approximately the third quarter of 2025. Again, 99-year covenant will be placed on the project. Uh, the source of the funding is affordable housing fund linkage fees. An action requested today is that you approve the loan agreement and the amount of $4,080,000 to assist with the development and construction of 102 affordable multifamily dwelling units, which will be known as the Irving at Mile High listing. And with that, I would love to take questions. Sorry. <laughs>
Thank you. Uh, Council President Torres, you're up first. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Laura. Um, a couple questions. I know I haven't had my, my full briefing on this, so I'll, um, I'm sure I'll, I'll get into a little bit more of the details um, when that comes up before it comes to Council. Um, I, this had been owned by Urban Land Conservancy. Is the land still going to be owned by them or was it purchased by somebody else? No, it's going to be owned by an affiliate of uh, Urban Land Conservancy. They will lease the land to the project, again, on a 99-year land lease that restricts it to, to, for use as affordable housing. Who is the affiliate? Um, Avondale Commons LLC. Oh, okay. So, okay. But not ULC proper. Can somebody speak there to that? There are some people from ULC could probably describe. That'd be great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Laura. Hi, thank you for the question. I'm Sarah Harmon. I'm Senior Vice President of Real Estate at Urban Land Conservancy. So the property, the parcel is owned through ULC's uh, single purpose entity, which is Avondale Commons LLC. That is the entity by which we originally purchased the full two acres back in 2011. And through that, we were able to parcel out the portion to the city that became the Jorge Gonzalez mm. Library, and then also um, the portion that went to Del Norte for Avondale Apartments. So this is a continuation of that same entity, which is wholly um, owned by ULC. Thank you, Sarah. Maybe you can speak to my next question, which is actually about um, like the, the, the um, shape of the location of the parcel is a little weird, right? It's like a, an F shape or an L shape. Um, but it's also, it's also a portion of the parking. How much of the parking will be lost in that lot that's there right now? So when ULC originally purchased uh, two acres that had previously been used um, as part of the surface parking lot for what was then a festival plaza for folks going back to those days, um, we did so with the intention of creating uh, three parcels to enable the immediate development of affordable housing then through Del Norte through to pursue the city's objective to build a library there. And so the parcels were divided into three. What you see there is the ULC parcel. We made accommodation that funky shape accommodates mm -hmm. what was needed for the library and what was needed for Del Norte's Avondale apartments. So each of those three parcels had areas of parking. We are removing no parking from the library or from Del Norte. It's, from their portion, right? Yeah, right. Their right, portion. But your portion actually, like it's used now for the library, right? That parking. Um, I think the, to speak frankly, um, the area has been used by anyone who pulls up. There was no use agreement to any other parties. I guess I just want to know how many spaces are coming offline, basically, um, that'll be replaced with the project. Um, 25? So the 25, and, and we are building then into, so they're coming offline from uh, uh, unrestricted lot. use Correct. to folks, and they will be within the uh, structured parking. You're building 34. Um, within the structure parking, I believe it's, just yeah. for residents, though, right? Correct. Okay. Um, thank you. Thank you for that, Sarah. Okay. Um, Ninety-nine-year covenant, um, shared laundry on alternating floors. Um, so, how many units will be on each floor, and how? I didn't see the 
height of each of the of the project overall? Seven, seven stories. Seven stories total. So the second through seven stories are the the actual residences. Um, as far as how many, it's an equal amount, I would imagine, or roughly. <laughs> we, we can follow up. Okay, that'd be great. Certainly. I'm getting my briefing that's soon, so sure that'll come. Tomorrow. Okay, thank you all so much. And I, I'll just comment. I mean, I I applaud you all. Um, I know that this has long been a conversation for ULC to get this project actually moving. As long as I've been in council, probably likely even before that, so 2019. Um, the number of financial sources, I think, demonstrates how difficult it is to actually put, put up a building for this deep level of affordability. Um, and I appreciate the work to get um, the number of three bedrooms that are in this um, actually online. So um, thank you for that. And uh, I'll see the floor. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank, thank you, you. Uh, Councilman Cashman. Yeah, thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you for the presentation. I don't know who wants to address this. I'm just wondering at the mix of apartment sizes, you know, studios one, two, three. Is this, I mean, is there an ideal mix in mind knowing what our community needs? Uh, I know making it quote unquote pencil is, is part of the equation. But yeah, when you look at this mix, thrilled to death, wish you could do better in one area or another. Um, well, we have a number of priorities within host. Um, and sometimes they play against each other and not necessarily with each other. Um, we definitely like to see the deep affordability as well as the families, um, the larger family sizes. Not every project is gonna be able to deliver that. Um, not to mention that we tend to come in later in the, the in the project, so we're not really involved in the how that's parsed out and how the developer can make it pencil, as you mentioned. Um, if there's anything else that perhaps you'll see, might want to mention about how they came up with that mix, that would be great. I will say that regarding the host priorities, um, this project is being funded slightly higher than what we would put on our term sheet is typical. And one of the reasons why we agreed to do that was because of the deep affordability, the handful of uh, larger units, as well as an extension of the affordability from the standard 60 years to the 99. So there's often these compromises that have to be made. Um, you know, if we had our druthers, they, they would all be family size units at 30% AMI, but that does not work in every instance. Sure, thank so, you for that. Um, but yeah, if there's anything else. Sure. Thank you so much for the question. One consideration we had in designing the, the unit mix and, um, and this building as a whole is consideration for our partners on that original two acre site. And so we worked to create a complementary unit mix, uh, complementary to Del Norte's Avondale Apartments. So where they had a higher emphasis on family sized units, we wanted to complement that by uh, recognizing we could increase our unit count and, and bring some of those uh, one bedrooms to balance the mix between the two buildings. We wanted to make sure we were good neighbors to them and that we also were, were able to have complementary marketing and outreach programs. So we wanted to be thoughtful about the mix um, in that regard as well. Sure, I appreciate that. And, and I'm wondering, you know, we, we've heard for years, various numbers thrown around, we need 
60,000 affordable units or 40,000 affordable units. I, I do wonder, uh, for those of you who are, are the professionals in, in this topic, if you have an idea when you, whatever that number is now, how many of the, how that does break down. Do we need so many studios, twos, threes, et cetera? Sure, I, I can't answer that question today. Mm -hmm. um, but what I will do is take this back to our director of housing development and see what sort of resources that he and uh, host leadership are using to, to try to estimate sure. the actual need. I'm sure there are studies uh, that we utilize to help us with those prioritizations. Yeah, I mean, chipping away at any level, this great project, wonderful, you know, um, but I would, so to be better able to evaluate as things come before us, I'd love to know how those numbers parse out. Thanks, appreciate it very much. That's all, Madam Chair. Thank you, and, and I will just say I echo um, Councilman Cashman's kind of request there and just have maybe a greater understanding around how those um, numbers come about. And I know a lot of it is around financing and trying to get the right mix and, and appreciate your response around with the, um, the other um, uh, housing that's there. Um, but I know that there are two schools like right near there, right? Colfax and Cheltenham Elementary. Um, so just keeping that in mind too with the neighborhood. Um, but I'm gonna go to Councilman Watson. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, committee chair. Uh, my first comment is when you look at the capital stack and similar to what council president said, I mean, this is um, incredible. I know this work um, has been ongoing. Um, don't specifically have a question. I, I think this is a, um, a worthwhile, um, seems to be a worthwhile project and look forward to if this advances for deeper discussion. I wanted to um, disclose for my uh, colleagues who may not be aware my firm had a contract with Urban Land Conservancy. Uh, we led the community informed process as well as the governance process and the renaming of the former Johnson and Wales campus. So I will continue to abstain from votes on um, items that are directly or indirectly impacted by Urban Land Conservancy, but I look forward to hearing more about this project. And if it moves to council, looking forward to hearing, uh, getting into a deeper discussion about that. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Councilman. Um, with that, I don't see anyone else in the queue here. Uh, and so I um, can I have a motion and a second for this action item? I have Council President Torres moved and second uh, Councilwoman Sawyer. Sorry, Councilman. <laughs> you, you, you lost. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so uh, just real quick, I, I heard Councilman Watson say that you would need to uh, abstain. So it sounds like we do need to take roll call. Uh, and so I will turn to Shannon to please call roll. Gilmore? Aye. Parity? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Torres? Aye. Watson? Abstain. Madam Chair. Aye.
five ayes. Great. Um, so that motion uh, passes and that will go on to full council. Um, thank you again so much for being here. Uh, members, there were five items on consent. Um, seeing no opposition going forward, uh, those will also go forward to full council. And thank you everyone for your time. We are adjourned. <laughs>